Hey guys, Future Mark here. Wanted to give you a quick heads up. This episode is releasing on February the 8th, but I am going to be traveling before we can record episode three of the podcast on inscription. But don't worry, you are still going to get four episodes. So we are going to be recording double episodes on the weekend of the 17th through the 19th as we all have a little bit more free time that weekend. So you're going to get one on, well, you've had one on the 1st. This episode's coming out on the 8th. You're not to be expecting an episode next week on the 15th, but on the week of February 22nd, you can expect a double episode, whether that will be uh, kind of like two on the 22nd or like one on the 21st, one on the 22nd, something like that. You are going to get four episodes of inscription, uh, but those uh, four episodes are going to be spaced out a little bit differently because of vacation. We appreciate your patience and stuff. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing about what your experiences are in Inscription. Uh, talk to you guys soon. Thanks for giving me a minute of your time. You're listening to Legends Cast, a proud member of the Camp Legend Podcasting Network. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash camplegend. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast Season 4, a starter set. I am one of your hosts, Mark or the Lift from outside of Pittsburgh, PA. And with me today, I have my legendary and ever faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd, and my eternally optimistic and catastrophically creative co-host, Gibbles and Bits. It's really good to be back here in the studio with you guys, recording again on a Friday afternoon. What a lunch break uh, tradition we have going on here. Uh, let's start with DBN this week. DBN, how you doing this week, man? Yeah, doing pretty good. Um, you know, it's been uh it's been busy <laughs> uh at work, lots of games, but uh uh in terms of like I've been uh well, I'll just I'll just I'll just spoil this right out of the gate. I did finish inscription. I got so into it. Um, like one week know, but uh DVN's like on act one, I've played two hours and like two days later he messages me and Gibby's like beat inscription. I was like, Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> yeah yeah i got i got i got hooked on it over there last weekend um but uh but yeah yeah it's crazy like i i've I've been getting to the end of my work days and everything's just been so wild that like i all i have energy for is playing video games <laughs> um, i went i went rock climbing once this week but it's like you know what i'm just gonna i don't want to cook i don't want to <laughs> go grocery shopping i just i'm just burnt um, but you know, I've been enjoying, um, yeah, played inscription, played a little, uh, played some snap, uh, playing some destiny, playing some unite, uh, just a little bit of everything. And, and just sort of, that's been my, you know, week of winding down with some sort of video game. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I got a game too, that I, I just picked up that I'll talk about in a minute, but Gibby, I'll, I'll toss it to you, man. How's your week been? Week has been good. Very busy. Uh, active rock climbing as well. We're getting back into the whole whole rock climbing thing and trying to get my 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 hands strengthened. But in the process, my body is sore. So uh, what do you do <laughs> at that point? You sit down and you play some games. So uh, all the usuals, Rocket League, a little bit of Overwatch, a little bit of Apex Legends, um, some inscription getting farther. I didn't, I didn't ace the game like DBN did. I'm still working my way through it chunk by chunk, but, uh, loving, loving where I'm at progress wise on that. And I do want to plug one game that I think is going to be a sentence to, to Ian. Uh, that's going to be really cool. That opens up in May that I encourage everyone to go take a look at for trailers and spoilers or, or hype more of the hype train, I think than spoilers since it's not out yet, but, there's a game called Redfall, 
that is going to be mm-hmm. opening up in May for PC and Xbox, I believe. Uh, that is essentially what they're calling Far Cry with vampires. It's a cooperative like world exploration game that is shrouded in this kind of fantasy of a uh, world of of with with darkness. So it's got some kind of spooky elements to it, but it's a first person shooter that's all vampire based. But uh, you have to kind of uncover the story as you're working your way through these worlds, and it's it looks awesome. So yeah, the, that's my uh, plug. I saw the trailer of it, and just the the kind of the combat and everything just looks buck wild. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it looks like a lot of fun, and and Gibby and I are also suckers for like multiplayer couch co op, maybe not couch co op, but co op experiences and stuff like that. Like we we played a lot of Diablo three on the couch mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, right after college. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> which all I'm saying is Diablo four comes out this summer, oh, and if it's cross platform, yeah. are the three of us playing D four together? Oh, yes, we are absolutely, and we're gonna stream it. I'm oh, making that announcement. We're yes. gonna stream our playthrough. Heck yes, yeah. Let's no, I'm it. I'm in. I mean, I could. I don't know what it really looks like to take a day off work and play video games because I'm not sure how that works for me in this position, but yes like let's take a day off and stream let's and uh and play some deep four that sounds really awesome um sounds so awesome. for me this week uh this was a weird week you guys got you know gibby's getting back to rock climbing um i lead an online church talked about on sh- on the, on the show a couple of times but we uh did a group fast this week so i did not eat for seven days and it was really difficult and at the end of the day a lot of times the only thing that if I keep my mind off of things and stay focused, I would play games at night. And uh, but I I have also not aced inscription. I am basically I'm almost identical to as far along as Gibby. Gibby's probably got 40 minutes to an hour left to get to where I am and we'll kind of be at the same place. Um, but I, uh, I went out and picked up a new game this week and I've been kind of playing it. I have some travel going on uh next week and a little bit in march and so i was like i really want a game that i can travel with and i don't really have any games on the switch that i was like super engaged with right now that i felt good to travel with i've been a little burnout on marvel snap if i'm honest i'm still playing to complete quests but i'm kind of like a lot of the new locations that are introducing and stuff i'm just not really jamming with um and i i don't know i've been finding it hard to boot up any sort of an mmo i just haven't had enough time to like sink in a substantial amount enough time to make it feel like it's worth my time to boot up the mmo so i went out and i picked up the single player game fire emblem engage um which is the new fire emblem game that's out for the nintendo switch i have been a fan of fire emblem games uh i was late to the party uh, i came in somewhere on the 3ds and i can't remember i played one where there was like you would jump back and forth from the past and like you're you've got two characters that were close enough then your ch- kid would teleport to the like to the past and help you and it, it was a really cool game that um, sounds complicated <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was it was really fun though like i really enjoyed it this one is you know they're very anime obviously the fire yeah, emblem yeah. games are they're very anime but i've played the last handful of them and if you like sort of like the tactical combat and the nitty-gritty and in the strategy side of it it is really fun i played three houses i played probably only about an hour and a half of this one total so far but I'm going to be playing it while I travel and uh, yeah, enjoying that fire emblem engage is the game that I picked up and that I have been checking out this week. In addition to playing inscription on stream, which once again, I just, I literally got on stream today thinking like, uh, maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't play inscription. 
And then I played it for three hours and it was like the time just was gone. It's like, oh, I forgot that I have a chat. Uh, I, I should probably engage with them at some point. Before we um, move on, I yeah. apologize if this is uh, an adverse opinion to anybody who loves the Fire Emblem uh, series. What I know of Fire Emblem comes from the addition of all of the different characters that they've added to Smash Bros. And Smash. So what I like to call Fire Emblem is generic fighter. Because they <laughs> all the freaking look the same. They all do the dang, same same dang thing, and none of them are special, in my opinion. So yeah, you be, you got to be careful though. You, you say the wrong thing about Fire Emblem, or wrong the wrong person. Yeah, gonna, yeah the oh, next thing you know, my garage is egged. Someone well, someone comes to right. Memphis and eggs my you're garage. Your D docs, right. yeah. No, I mean I have played to the Shadow Realm a couple <laughs> of them, and to be honest, they all kind of blend <laughs> together. Like all the characters are yeah. just sort of like. Okay, you have mages and you have like tanks and archers and fighters. Really, am... the drop of the game is the combat and the leveling up of your individual characters and equipping them, and then like learning how to master and combine their abilities in a fight. The stories are kind of oh, they're okay. Stories aren't terrible, but see, I I just want them to do another Final Fantasy Tactics uh, because that was like that's kind of like what the Fire Emblem games that I've seen have sort of like replicated or or tried to or tried and i'm sure there are ways that they've advanced it but i don't know like the fire emblem tone everything i've seen is just so boring to me and it feels like it's so much more about you know having the right combination of anime waifus uh (laughs) you know where i'm like can we just have uh like i like final fantasy tactics because the characters were these little cute um more like abstract not chibi characters, but they were, you know, little yeah. um, pixel guys. And, you know, they were a lot more easy to get connected to. And you've got the little, you know, bunny eared people and you've got the the weird elephant face people. You I don't know. It was face. just more charming. You know what I mean? Like it was more charming. It was easier to connect to. I just, uh, you know, oh, no, and this Final is, Fantasy. This is definitely marketed towards thirsty gamers. And yeah, uh, y'all keep dumping yeah. on Fire Emblem guys. Cause if I'm, if I'm getting DDoX, <laughs> we're getting DDoX together, man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely targeted to that, but um, there is something that's really engaging is as you level your characters, there's like branching paths for each class. And so yeah. you feel like you're managing um, I mean, that's what six or seven different D and D characters kind of that are in your yeah. party, which is that's kind what of Final fun. Fantasy Tactics did. That's why it was like one of the most successful GBA games of all time. Is it was like I don't want to say it created that mechanic, you know, but it really like perfected that sort of system of like, okay, we've got this party, we're choosing who to deploy and which combinations of things, and giving them better abilities or branching them into different specializations, like. But the game is it's a fun, it's a super fun mechanical uh, uh, type of game for sure. I, I would love puzzling. to see more of it. Edgy yeah, Swordsman number three. I choose you. <laughs> you know, speaking of this, just real fast while we're still on this, like uh, grid based uh, sort of D&D style combat like is really fun um, to play out in video games. And I, I think that it's a really good translation. I would love to see Advanced Wars come like come back. Like, I don't think there's been a new Advanced War game since, like, the 3DS. Um, and I don't know if you guys ever played those, but if they were they were dope. They were so cool. It was like a... I, I was, it was like StarCraft melded with that grid-based combat. Mm. And, and it, I don't know. It was Interesting. cool. Like, it was all about the economy, too, you know? 
honestly, there is a lot of like genres of games that I feel like have been left that just haven't been re-explored because it like there's so much that I feel like Age of Empires 2 mastered what that what that type of game could embody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've had RTSs since, and I'm sure there's yeah. some that are out now that are perfectly fine, but I just feel like there's a lot of those older genres of games that just haven't been improved upon, like Final Fantasy Tactics or like Age of Empires or like grid-based battlers. And I do wish that we would see something new. It's like, that, you know, the video game industry has to fight for something innovative and and I get that. But like even Can like, I... you know, Zoo Tycoon and things like, you know. You well, oh, yeah. You know what? I, I, I've been saying this for a while, but the original Star Wars Battlefront games, I know we're mm-hmm. like way past time, but... Uh, the original Star Wars Battlefront games are this lost era of shooters where you don't have a super fast time to kill, and it be- and you know you have a health bar that just isn't like the like Call of Duty made this really popular. It was just like twitch reactions and who sees who first. That's the most boring type of shooter game to play, <laughs> and I think outside of battle royales being the only example of this uh, in modern shooters, like you just don't see you know, these sort of firefights where like you're, you, you know, like you did in Battlefront where the stormtroopers, like they have a decent sized health bar and you're trying to like, you know, bob and weave behind cover and, you know, Destiny, the original Destiny and Destiny 2 when it first dropped had this slower time to kill and then they got rid of it. And mm. now it's just like, who throws a grenade at who, you know, and it's dumb. And it's like, and but so I think that speaks again to like what you're saying. Like there's these types of games where they're being, uh, they're all becoming a lot more streamlined towards these certain narrow experiences, yeah. uh, which I think is a bummer outside uh, of like indie games. Also, we're a bunch of old curmudgeons that want Zoo Tycoon back. Bring me Zoo Tycoon. Uh, coaster Tycoon. My examples were Final Fantasy Tactics and Battlefront. Don't You don't speak for me, Mark. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we do want to talk about Inscription. This is our second episode diving into it. And in this episode, we're going to be specifically focusing on mechanics and strategy in a deep dive. So uh, deep dive not on that the... you'd know it from the first 13 minutes. Yeah, not that you would have any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> We're, you know, we're just shooting the breeze. Um, but anyway, we're going to be taking a dive into that. And we're going to divide this episode up into kind of two sections because the game is very different depending on what act you're in. We've all played through act one. We played through part of act two, at least. So we're going to do a deep dive on act one and on act two. And we're going to give you a bit of a warning before we go into act two. So if you have not gotten to act two yet and you don't want spoilers, don't. We're not going to give a lot of story story spoilers, but in order to do a dive into the mechanics of Act Two, we're going to have to give some things away. And so, if you don't, if you haven't made it to Act Two yet, you can listen through the Act One and then hit pause, come back later, and listen to our deep dive of Act Two, and we'll kind of go from there. Um, but uh, let's start off with Act One. Of course, in this game, you get introduced to it. You're in a cabin. It seems like this guy is going to kill you, and then he does a whole bunch of times. And you have this uh, sort of roguelike deck builder experience, um, not unlike what you would, you know, what you have in Slay the Spire. We talked a little bit about this last time we played where you're sacrificing animals to play more powerful animals to beat your opponent. And uh, there are a handful of different mechanics in this game. And I think we should probably talk a little bit about each one. Um, because there's different things that you can do kind of throughout it to improve your cards or change your cards. 
depending on which direction you take on the map. Um, and I thought maybe one of the first ones we should talk about is the woodcarver um, and our thoughts on the woodcarver. Because throughout the game, you will get access to a woodcarver. It'll kind of give special abilities to every tribe of one tribe in your deck. So wolves can all get flying or uh, elk, uh, you know, they can all get blocks flying is a really poor example, thorns or whatever. Uh, and so I'm kind of curious, guys, what was your experience like? We'll start with you, Gibby, with the wood carver. Um, because I, and like, what did you find that like really worked for you with the wood carver? Yeah, I think we're probably going to have some similar opinions here, I would think. But the wood carver is a really interesting mechanic where you get that base, you can kind of mix and match the bases in the heads to give benefits to whatever kind of tribe you're trying to, um, you have more of in your deck and it probably is going to be more beneficial based on that. It's okay. What do I have a lot of in my deck at this point that is going to make sense for me being able to capitalize on it? Because if you only, if you, if you have the stink mechanic as the base where everything that is opposing a creature of whatever type does one less damage and you have the, the, the snake head, but you've only got one rattler in your deck. Why you're not going to want to equip the rattler head or the snake head. You're going to want to pick something that you have a lot of. My experience is that there was one clear answer as to what was best because it was overwhelmingly the most applicable for majority of my runs. I found through act one, you have quite a variety or you have the opportunity to have quite a variety of cards and it's almost like okay do i maybe sacrifice some efficiency to have a lot of the same kind of clan or do i play good stuff and do i pick what i think is going to be the best fit in my deck and i have a bunch of different clans and i ended up choosing the latter so what i found is the most kind of efficient and best choice within the wood carver was using the base where um, it gave you three blood every single time you sacrifice something and using the squirrel head that you end up getting at some point. So every time you get a squirrel, because they start in your deck, you have the opportunity to pick one every single turn. Using the squirrel head every, every time you sacrifice a squirrel, get three blood, and now you can play something that is otherwise would be rather expensive, and you'd have to sacrifice a good portion of your board in order to to get out. It just seemed like the overwhelmingly like best option and was really pivotal in me being able to get past act one truthfully. Well, yeah, I, the time that I got that combination, I did not get past act one, which is interesting. I got past it uh, with a different combination, but DBN, I want to kick it to you and ask kind of like, what was your experience? Like, what did you lean into with the wood carver? Cause I do think that what Gibby's saying here is cracked. Once you unlock the squirrel head and you have that, uh, there are certain things that go with the squirrel head that are obviously very, very strong. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, by intention, right? So the the squirrel head is uh, something you get later on in you know in Act One slash like you know all of these mechanics are unlocking over time and progressively. Like, I, I'm not saying that it's not challenging, but the the game wants you to beat Act One eventually. And and it continues to, you know, through the death cards and through the wood carver giving you progressively better options and stuff like that, it's eventually going you're going to win. 
it, you know, it's if you're not, you know, if it, as you master the mechanics as well, right? So, like, part of that is I think the scroll head being a very obviously powerful thing that uh, is intended to make it highly uh, flexible. I think what was most interesting was the couple runs that I had before the squirrel head um, where I was using the woodcarver, but not, you know, but, but having to choose with a, diff- a different tribe that was harder to deck build around. And there were some really interesting situations uh, that I ran into, one of which I did almost win the run. Actually, I did win the run, uh, but uh, unbeknownst to me, I had to f- do something else in the escape room component before I could advance to act two. Mm. um so you know i i beat it without using the squirrels originally because i had a uh there's the mechanic where if one of your creatures dies and this is in your hand it comes out onto the board for free mm-hmm. um and i was able to uh pair that with uh the wolves and then Ooh. draft a bunch of high power wolves so i would just slap a squirrel down not sacrifice it and let it get eaten by something coming up along their side of the board. And then boom, it comes down. And then, you know, there were some cool mechanics, which I'm sure we'll talk about with like the altars where I was able to give one of my wolves, uh, the ability where it, um, bounces back to your hand when it dies. Uh, and so in the combination there, if it died to something, my opponent did, it immediately went back to my hand and then triggered and came back out onto the board, Oh, Uh, (laughs) which is pretty darn cool. Um, no, the wood carver is really neat. And I think that there's some really cool ones that I would love to explore. I thought I did have a run that I didn't win with, uh, where I used the beehive, um, one where like when it gets hit, get a bee and that's some cool resource stuff. I think there's a lot of keywords as well that are bait, you know, like you look at flying and you're like, wow, flying is going to be so good. I'm going to jump over everything until you realize you can't clear the enemy stuff. You can't, right? you know? And so I think that like, it's, it's a fine balance. The squirrel definitely does render it fairly, you know, obvious at a certain point. Like, this is the most useful, flexible thing I can do. And I was able to, the run that I had all of the stuff from the escape room done uh, and was able to advance to act two was a very simple one where I found uh, the worker ant uh, totem and I put that on the squirrels. And so what would happen is the squirrels would come in and then uh, generate an ant in my hand. And ants cost one blood sacrifice. So I sacrificed the squirrel I just played, bring out an ant. And every turn, I just bring out another ant, which all buffs all the other ants. And I basically didn't play my deck. All I did was draw squirrels and play the squirrels. It was very silly. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think this weird. <laughs> brings up a really good point. Um, and we can talk about this in terms of how each of our decks ended up clearing Act 1. Gibby three blood on a squirrel right uh dbn ants on squirrels um and also like this broken combo with the totems the point of act one is you're actually creating something that is broken right like you're creating something that cheats the system if you find yourself struggling to beat things it's very likely that you won't end up clearing it maybe you will but for the most part what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a system that ends up ultimately breaking the game so that you can just sort of force your way through and and win the game um and uh mine was different uh the run that i did have one run where i had the uh, three blood squirrel and the 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 run that i won i had uh ended up i went to as many wood carvers as i could find 
I think I had six or eight bottoms with just the squirrel head and I never found blood. I, the best one I ever had was squirrel with thorns. Um, one that's equally really good is when this card dies, you get one in your hand because then you can just play infinite squirrels, which is also very, very powerful. Get a bunch of wood blood guys out. Um, but the one that I won, I just had squirrels with thorns. Um, but I exploited something else in the game in order to sort of break my deck. And I exploited the fires. So the camps that you can go to, mm. um, you can power up the power of your cards or the help of your cards. But uh, initially, as you go to camp, you can only do it once. Over time, it allows you to press your luck. And you can go up to three times. If you go each time, though, uh, I think the first time you always get it. Second time, less of a chance. Third time, even less of a chance uh, of actually getting away because the starving people at the campfire will try to eat your animal that you're warming by the fire. Um, if you feed them a tapeworm, which is a card that you can pick up in the game, then every fire from that point on has no one around it, and you can use it three times without any risk and superpower them up. Uh, go ahead, so, Avian. Yeah, so this is really funny because you mentioned that last time when I was playing through, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool. That was a fun tip that I don't that you know you would only know if you'd done it, right?" Yes. And then something really interesting happened. I went to the fire. I, I drafted a tapeworm. I went to the fire. I gave them a tapeworm, and I buffed its defense five times, and they didn't eat it. Wow! <laughs> really? They knew. Yeah. And oh. so now, I, so now I have a, a one blood zero nine or something crazy like that. And I'm like, and then I got went to another fire and I said, "What are the odds? Do I is this actually a good card now? I can't tell. <laughs> I, do I feed it to them still? Am I better off? Do I do I think I'm gonna find it another was, fire? That's kind of wild. Very silly. That's kind of yeah, wild. Yeah. I did not. Uh, so hey, I I'm here to give but bad I tested advice. It yeah, well, later we tested and it. it worked. Oh, it did work later. It did. It does work. I just, it, but I, uh, it, but oh, it's a random choice if they eat it or not. And I guess I was quote unquote lucky. If it had been a different <laughs> card, there, I would have gotten like plus nine defense or something crazy unit. But then, <laughs> yeah, uh, but. You know, I wanted them to eat it. Darn it. I wanted the bad luck. I was going to trick them and the game didn't let me do that. That's that's what we call Ian luck. Uh. <laughs> well, and, and kind of segueing into another place that you can go within act one as well, which maybe at that point you would have been really beneficial to find. It was is the um, the sacrificial altar where you go, you find these sacrificial altars in act one and you can take you can put one card down in front of you of a smaller pool. It usually feels like they don't give you the option to the whole deck. It usually gives you a smaller pool of cards to pick from. You can lay that card down in front of you, and then you can pick any card in your deck. It opens it up, and it gives you any choice that you want to basically remove the keyword, sacrifice that card, and remove it from your deck, and add its keyword um, to the whatever card you picked second. And now it's got that for the rest of the game. So you may pick yeah. a card that isn't that powerful, but it's got a really good keyword with the anticipation of going to the altar and ripping the sigil off of it to be able to give it to another another card that is really powerful. Like one that I found um, really, really helpful using the altar was the keyword where it's got the magnifying glass from the magpie, where... Mm -hmm. Anytime you play that card onto the board, whatever card it is, 
you can then search through your entire deck and rip and pull with pick whatever card you want out to put into your hand. So I ended up having a combination where I had the the three blood from the squirrel. Um, but I also had one of my, and we'll get to that, one of the my previous cards that were created because of a run that I lost. It was a free 3-3 three, three that pulled a card out of my hand. So I played the free 3-3, three, three, pulled a card out of my out of my deck into my hand that was very big. I then played a squirrel, sacrificed the squirrel for three blood, and had whatever I pulled out of my hand that costed three blood to throw out, to slap on the board. I think it was like a shark that had I had given the uh, the split sigil, where it, mm-hmm, it attacks yeah. twice. So it was like a four or five attacked shark that attacked twice on turn one with no defenders. So I was I was OTKing fights just on yeah. on turn one because of this this combination, but. There's a lot of different benefits that you can give other cards that are not meant to have certain sigils via the altar. The altar is a very interesting and imperative one to use correctly if you really want to overpower a deck. Yeah, and there are cards that you can draft that uh, by themselves are are pretty not good, but contextualized and the ability for you to give their sigils to other things are phenomenal. Mm. Between the sacrificial altar, you've got the uh the fungus people that will fuse two cards mm-hmm. that are the same title together and combine their stats into one card. You can create and, and th- again, I think Mark made a very good point. The whole the whole point of Act One is to master the mechanics enough to be able to create a deck with broken broken cards like it's encouraging you to learn the mechanics well enough to break the game like that's the interesting interesting challenge of it compared to so many other card games that we've played we've reviewed they they're seeking balance this game wants you to unbalance itself uh, which is really and there's so many ways to do it and they wouldn't if they wanted you to play in a fair and balanced way they wouldn't be giving you these things and so i think the fun is to revel in that power fantasy as a card gamer of like i'm create i've made the most busted death card in the world this is amazing i'm just gonna stomp uh the trapper as soon as i show up uh you know two turns boom boom trapper dead or or whatever and i think that that's the other thing is that like because you're playing against the same boss each time in a row you know and it's in the same order you really can prepare for it super super well and have a plan going in of like i played against the angler so many times i know exactly what he's gonna do and you stop getting cheated out of these things because of their weird mechanics and instead you you can even you know use them against them exploit them um so uh, i think that that all makes act one what I think it needed to be within the context of the larger game, which is mastering the base mechanics uh, because you're going to get tested on them in act two and act three. Yeah, absolutely. And, and once again, this is really about breaking the game and it, it ex, ex, it's an escalating breaking, right? Like at mm-hmm. first you're like, Ooh, I have this really cool death card. I can get in my deck. That, that card feels pretty broken. That's super cool. And then yeah. it's like in, in my game that I won, I had a, like a four, six, uh, mantis god in my deck yeah uh, so i would drop it and deal 12 points of damage and I, I would just one swing everybody and then i actually got to two of the fungus people that combined cards and i d- and you can do a card that's been combined you can do it again so i had two elks mm-hmm. combined it and then combined it with a third elk and i ended up with a 612 elk 
uh, for two blood. And so like the combination of those two things was just like, oh, okay, I figured it out. Like, uh, and now if I play through act one again, I think I would be able to go through and be like, okay, I'm, I'm really just trying to figure out the best way to break the cards that I've got in my deck. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love is you just don't see it at first, but there's so many cards that you pick up through the game that can be used in a way you think this card's useless. And then you realize, Oh no, if I use this card here and combined with this and this yeah. ability, this mm-hmm. card could actually break the game. And so you don't realize how many branching paths there are to break it until all of the tools are in your fingertips and the brokenness has escalated until you're like, yeah. okay, now I'm ready. And you kind of get to the last boss and, that really is the deep dive on Act Puff out one. your chest a little bit and you're like, yeah. I don't care what you got to bring at me. Let's do it. I mean, yeah, you're like, man, this felt impossible before. And I was like, how could you ever beat this? And then you're like, oh, that's exactly I one shot at everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, yep. I mean, every time you do more than the required amount of damage on a on a on a fight, he holds it. Yeah. The, the bad guy holds out the little bowl and the extra teeth fall in there. Teeth. Nothing like seeing that whole bowl fill up with teeth. Spill onto the table, spill onto his deck, spill onto the yeah. little skull head. Like it's it's hilarious. Yeah. Well, let's move on from Act One and go to Act Two. So if you are not on Act Two yet and you don't want us to deep dive into Act Two with you, this is a great point to pause the show and come back to it when we go to Act Two. Now, we're not going to talk about anything that happens sort of story-wise this episode between Act 1 and Act 2, but we are going to talk about mechanics and a deep dive into the mechanics in Act 2. So you get introduced into Act 2, and suddenly you are introduced to a wider range of cards, and you realize that you have been playing with one of four distinctly different sets of cards that have been created by four different game masters. Those, the ones that you've been playing with are like the beasts or the woodland ones. And there are three others. There are robots, sort of mages, and then there's like a necromancy one. And when you initially get into the game, you get to choose which one of those three do you want? Do you want the beasts, the mages, the necromancy, or the robots? So let's, DB, and get first. Which one did you pick? We'll just each say what we picked. Yeah, I chose the mage. Chose the mage. Gibby? Yeah, chose the mage. Didn't really have a good reason or rhyme or understanding of what I was choosing. I just picked one. No, they literally give you no concept. Yeah, so I just I just <laughs> yeah, ended up picking know. one. You have no idea. Uh, you nah. don't even know that there's new pulls of cards yet. You actually don't even know what game you're playing right now. And, uh, and thematically, really quickly, I know, not without spoiling, spoiling anything story-wise, because we said we wouldn't do that, I think it is really cool that when you eventually go back and explore the woodland cards from with all mm-hmm. the beasts mm-hmm. the three cards that were talking to you throughout all of act one are not there they are yep, not yep. in the pool because that's part of the story yep yeah so yep well and and i thought too like with all this newness going back and like you know you can choose a the, uh, to pick a deck uh th- th- basically these four game masters they're they're scribes is what they're called in the game uh, and they make the cards that you play in the game. Um, and these, uh, you know, um, Leshy is the name of the guy from Act One, uh, the the woodland person. I guess we probably should have said spoilers. We're about to really get into the spoilers for Act Two, so spoilers. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but like these scribes are uh you know all sort of themed differently and you can choose to stick with the woodland ones if you want you can choose to stick with the beasts and they're the exact same cards so as dbn was saying there we kind of lost him for a moment he'll be back in the show here in a bit um yeah you kind of get you can stick with the deck that you're familiar with or if you want to you can explore new decks. You guys both chose to explore a new deck. You chose magic mm-hmm. and like the mages. And I also chose to explore a new deck, but I went with the necromancy. So kind of the skeletons and each of these new decks introduces a wide variety of new cards and mechanics. And I'm kind of curious because I'll be honest, the mages were the last ones that I went to in the act two. And I sort of trashed act like the last place because i had sort of i i don't want to say cracked it but like i had learned it a good bit and i never really got to see what the intentions of the mages were so can you tell us a little bit about like what do the mage cards actually do and like what what is their goal yeah so of the four decks i mean so we've learned you in lack one you learn some of the mechanics and some of the basis pretty much what makes each of the four decks unique is the way you play the cards and essentially the economy system and the, what they consider like the money system of how you're getting cards out onto the board. So um, we learned in the beast deck that you sacrifice other cards, which gives you blood in order to play more powerful cards. And based on the number of blood droplets at the top of the card, that's how many sacri- units you have to sacrifice unless there's something on, in the text. Um, the With the mage deck specifically, you almost have these little power units, not power units, because that's actually one of the different ones. Um, you have these orbs, I'm going to call it. I don't remember the exact terminology for it, but there's like a green one. There's an orange mm-hmm. one. And there's different gems. Gems, I think is, it might be the actual term, but you had different gems. So there are free cards within the magic system that you can play out. Who's, it don't, they usually don't have any power or any defense to, or like a one defense to them. So they're easy to kill if you don't kind of do something with them kind of quickly, but you play out this card for free and it's got a green gem to it. Okay. Now you have one active green gem and anything that costs one green gem to play in your deck, you can immediately play. So the magic Mm. deck, what it does do it is it allows you to play a lot of cards quickly if you needed to, if you had the right resources and mechanics to, you might end up passing a turn or two to not play anything on board. So that way your your kind of resource builder unit that has that gem doesn't get KO'd really quickly because if something steps up, it's got zero attack and one defense, it's probably gonna get knocked out. Now you just lost your resource that you can use to play any of the other cards that actually cost something and can and can benefit your board. So you end up kind of flooding the board all at one time with units that matter, and then your resource units probably get killed off. It's very interesting. It almost felt, and this isn't this is a weirdish comparison, but it almost felt very Pokemon esque with like how you have to have the energy units in order to mm-hmm. be able to play of that type in order to be able to play whatever monster you were going to play. But it's, I don't think I've gotten to a point yet because I am not through Act Two. And I have not gotten to go to the actual magic portion of of island of the of the Act Two area where you're exploring. I haven't gotten there yet, so I don't know what the ceiling looks like on the magic realm. On sure. what kind of units you end up picking up that have that involve the magic, but I 
have not been super impressed so far with some of the base cards. They just don't necessarily do you enough. So I feel like I chose the magic base and then I've just been exploring the other places and using their cards so far, but I very well may come back to the magic. Sure. Yeah. And I'll go over what the other ones do. We know what the beast ones do. Get an idea about how magic works in the, uh, the undead one. You have a bunch of really low powered stuff that all generate bones when they die for the most part and extra bones sometimes when they die. And then you use those bones to play other cards. And so it's kind of a swarm strategy with a lot of low powered stuff. And the more powered up stuff takes a lot of bones, but like your skeletons uh, deal a damage that one ones they're free to play down. Um, And when they die, they generate bones, um, but they automatically die after they attack. So you're there. Don't offer any defense. And the necromancy cards do offer you. It's it's very basic, but basically you're allowing your cards to play out and die and you're resurrecting new ones and putting grave uh, diggers up to dig up more bones for you and then pile of bones out of the board that you sack and put more bones into to increase its power over time. So it's a really interesting mechanic. uh, And I found it on its own also to be a little lackluster. Now, the robots are kind of interesting because they actually uh, form circuits. And so you play these cards onto the board And if you have like a full run of them, they could have like these little battery symbols and those battery symbols will line up and it has its own economy system as well. And I'm actually, I didn't play robots, so I'm not a hundred percent sure how it works, but I know you need to be able to basically generate power to be able to get your robots on the board. So if you go robots, maybe you can let us know, but none of us pick robots. So we don't know exactly how it works. Well, I know Ian played with a few of them. Ian, you played with a few of the robots, correct? Yeah, yeah. So by the end, I had incorporated some of the robots into my uh, into my yeah, list, same. and it's basically where it's kind of like a traditional mana system, <clears throat> where you get uh, mana crystals just like you would in Hearthstone or Tessel or whatever every turn, or or, or Marvel Snap, okay. where it slowly grows. So mm-hmm. um, turn one, you have one power. Turn two, you have two power, and then of course they have their costs accordingly, which means that um, by the end of the game, you can play out a lot of these guys, but they typically tend to be a little understated. Uh, compared to a lot of the creatures that you get from sacrificing for blood or bringing in a bunch of bones. Yes. Yep, exactly. Now, the difference is we've gone over all four of the base mechanics, and we'll talk about how you actually, you know, deep dive into the strategy of building. But the point is, is that this is not a deck builder in terms of like a a deck builder like you would see in Uh, slay the spire or even in act one of this game this is very different because as you adventure around and you beat people and you you know unlock things you are getting packs of cards you open up a pack of cards and it will have like three cards from the faction that you open the pack from plus two cards from other factions and you add those to your collection then you simply hit tab and can customize your 20 card deck so this is a deck builder in the more traditional sense of a deck builder it is Like, you know, hey, you have a collection of cards and you're putting 20 cards in your deck and you're trying to build the best deck that you can. You are not augmenting your cards as you're playing. You are not splicing your cards together. You are not doing any of the things to your cards in Act 1. Your cards are what they are. And then you're trying to build the best deck that you can, which is entirely different, entirely different than what you did in Act 1. Um, it's not a different game. The mechanics on how you win remain the same. You need to outweigh your opponent of five damage on the scales, just the same. The bell you ring is the same. You got the four lanes, just the same as you did before. All of that stuff remains the same, but the way that you're actually winning the game is very different. And I think 
uh, DBN, I'll kick this to you as well, because I think that, you know, you, you actually went through act two and Gibby's on his way through it. But I found that of course the answer in this um, to winning in the, you know, the strategy of it was, it was more about synergy than it was about augmenting cards, which you can't do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so unlike, um, and the, this is a really interesting thing, right? Because if act one was about breaking the game by augmenting and creating new cards, this is about finding a tra- more of a traditional deck building strategy where, you know, as you explore through, you open packs and you get some random cards and you get some cards by beating people and taking the cards that you have at your disposal and blending them into a deck that can win um, and fusing these different strategies together in unique ways. Um, it's really interesting as I played through it, I was fascinated by it because I knew that like, wow, my experience is going to be different than every other player's experience here. Um, but in a completely different reason from act one, I'm going to be building decks that play more towards my preferences, or I'm going to see certain combinations of cards uh, or certain numbers. Like, Oh, I want to play. And you have a deck you have to play. You have to have 20 cards. Exactly. So it's like, okay, do I want to put in three of this or two of this? Do I want to put in, you know, uh, skeletons as an early game sacrifice to bring out these blood creatures? Do I want to play robots like sentry bots that I can also play on turn one and sacrifice? Like, what are the values? Where's the synergy? Like, yeah, it's really, really cool in that way that you're trying to take If you can't, you probably can win by playing only one faction, but the game encourages you not to do that. It encourages you to take all of the cards from all of the factions and find the best parts about them and fuse them together in unique ways. In that way, it actually reminded me, I don't know if you guys ever knew about this. Um, in 1997, uh, there was a game that came out uh, uniquely called Magic the Gathering. Not the card oh. game, a video game version of Magic the Gathering oh. that uh, I, my dad owned and gave to me to play on my crappy... Uh, you know, computer, uh, hand-me-down computer when I was a kid and I loved it. And the basic idea was, is that you're playing in the world of Magic the Gathering, I guess, and you're wandering around a big old Skyrim-esque map as this little crappy 8-bit or 16-bit, you know, figure running into Pokemon-esque random encounters to duel uh, creatures you find and winning cards from them and going and getting gold and buying cards from shop tenders and you're supposed to go and beat the different bosses of all five different colors and then defeat a plane walker or something like that so that's what it reminded me of and oh a fun Very fact cool. about the magic the gathering video game that was just called magic the gathering um it, it was actually worked on by sid meyer uh who is famous That's for civilization and uh i think he did one of the tycoon games too um but anyways yeah so that's what it reminded me of and i thought that that was just a really fascinating sort of mini uh, and i would have loved for that for act two quite frankly you could have had three times as much content in act two and i would have loved it like i would have loved if act two was an entire game that's how cool the exploring finding cards building the decks beating people to win their cards kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh tried mm-hmm. to do in the anime <laughs> well and to wrap and that's i mean that's a really really cool kind of video game history lesson because i i didn't know that and i i would venture a lot of the people didn't either um 
so kind of wrapping it back around to act two, something that you said, I think is really important is that you are trying to find this traditional style. And let me tell you, um, as someone who did not do that traditional style and is learning his lesson the hard way, I have tried to create this mix match of using cards from multiple factions and not to say that it can't work. You can't use some robot cards and some magic cards and some beast cards and it, and it work. And it's probably a pretty powerful combination if you find the right cards in your packs. So I do think it is randomized. It's uh, really hard to do so if you don't have the right card. So until you have a wider range and array of cards that you've pulled from packs from these different factions, I think it's really interesting that it's more advantageous to find one that's your play style oh, yeah. and play a bunch of bone cards or play a bunch of blood cards or play a bunch well, of it, magic it's, cards. It's uniquely like the original trading card game things, right? Like if you played Yu-Gi-Oh! as a kid, what was the best way to start winning immediately? Buy a, a starter deck that was mm-hmm. like thematic, a theme deck, you know? Mm-hmm. And but and and then you start buying some packs and you see a couple strategies. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is really cool, but I don't have enough of this to actually make a deck that's better than my mm-hmm. theme deck. Yeah. And it's yeah. only once you find enough that you can start melding them together that over time by the end of and i think you'll find this will be the case gabby by the time you beat act two you will have been able to continually update and reformal formularize formularize probably not a word formulate uh your reformulate there it is uh your your uh your list yeah i think that's really cool and something real quick mark i know that you're about to jump in here too something that act two does differently than act one that is worth noting is when you go into these different fights where you are challenging somebody with this deck that you are built, it's not a one and done. You don't have a set number of lives like you did in act one. You can fail as many times as you want to. So you don't have to be worried mm-hmm. about trying something new or putting a new slotting a new card in your deck and seeing if it works out. Because if you just, if you lose, they give you a little taunt, they little sneer at you through a yeah. text box, and then you can try it again. You can do it's it 20 times. It's refreshingly like stress-free yeah, that way. Exactly. Yeah, you don't feel like you're building up and just hoping that you're going to, oh, man, now I'm out. I got to start it from the beginning. Um, I was having that experience on stream. I was just sort of beating my head against the wall against one boss. And then I, you know, like I knew that I could beat her with the cards in my deck. I just needed the right ones yeah. and uh, and got the right ones. Interesting as well. The bosses have slightly different mechanics that they're going to play with than the other things, just the same as. Uh, act one your your bosses are going to be a little bit different and some story is going to play it along with it i ended up going with necromancer stuff got a bunch of skeletons realized partway through that there was synergy because you can sacrifice skeletons for blood and uh paired that with a bunch of skeletons and just some big beasts and ended up uh, bulldozing through the remaining areas in about 20 minutes um and so just like act one once you sort of crack it and kind of figure it out you're like, oh, okay, I got something that works now, and you, you, you know, you make your way through it and and head on. Um, we're not going to talk about Act Three because I'm just into it. Gibby's not into it, and DBN has finished it in this episode. Um, but I'm sure once you get there, you will experience that there will be a different strategy that you're going to need than you did in Act One or Act Two as well. Although, just dipping my toe into it, it feels, uh, it feels like you're gonna you're gonna leverage some of what you've learned in yeah, the past. You, anyway. you definitely um blend some of the knowledge and stuff that you've gleaned and some of the experience from act one and act two and and it does blend that 
into a, a unique new twist and challenge. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of our, our conversation around deep dive and strategy, especially around act one and act two. Um, I think that there's actually more to dive into and think about in act one. And I think people will spend more time in act one than they will in act two. I'll be honest. I was not as happy with act two as I was with act one at first. And then by the end of it, I was like, yeah. I, I feel like I was, I feel like a, just a couple of hours ago on stream, I was where Gibby is right now, which is like, what am I supposed to do? I'm throwing my hands up in the air. I'm done with this. Like, and I know you're not done with it, but that's where I was. I was literally on stream. Like, this is stupid. Um, and then just like act one, a couple of things cracked for me. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm sort of figuring this out. I'm understanding the flow a little bit. It's solving the little puzzles and then, you know, doing the card battles and cracking a few packs. And by the end, it didn't even matter what packs I was cracking. I had sort of, uh, unlocked deck that I knew could probably likely carry me through. And so I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys for listening in. Is there any last minute thoughts from either you, Gibby, or UDBN about strategy and stuff for this episode, or are we good to sign off? No, I think my my only bit of advice would be to, uh, you know, whether it's Act 1 or Act 2, um, at least when I, with me playing on the Switch, it took me a while to figure out that I could, like, how to look at my deck um and like i had to you know hit the up stick a couple times to like actually find where to view my deck and as soon as i figured that out um i learned that one of the best strategies is like in between rounds and in between um you know areas where you're gonna whether it's um in act one where you you're kind of going through that progression deck building or act two where you're checking your deck and adding and filtering new cards just take the time to look at your deck every once in a while because it'll kind of remind you what you're trying to do it'll also remind you what weaknesses your deck have so that you can upgrade them <clears throat> and eliminate those weaknesses uh as a priority through the playthrough i'm gonna be on absolutely i'm gonna be honest guys i didn't know that you could look at your deck in act one i yeah. had no idea i know you could yeah. look at it in locked act two because you a have little... to be able to like edit it but i didn't know that <laughs> yeah it was a little uh hard to find that option but once i did i, I you know, and that's a, maybe a critique I could have in the last episode, but that's okay. I, it happened to me by accident. Yeah. I I did not know how to find it. I accidentally found glad it. to know but, I wasn't uh, just dumb. Uh, no, yeah, but I, I accidentally found it and didn't even know what it was when I first looked at it. But hey, as you guys <laughs> as you guys play through Act One, as you guys play through Act Two, or if you're in Act Three and you need tips tips or or maybe some guidance, you can you can reach out to any of us. Um, directly probably do it in direct messages just so you don't spoil any stories or anything else or any any tips for for other people or if you want to post something about hide the message so that way it's kind of a spoiler free kind of uh content we would love to hear how you guys are enjoying inscription and uh if you're playing it what's what's worked for you what hasn't what point you're at in the game so uh hit us up on discord come chat with us or even just direct message us we would love to talk with you about it yeah, I actually literally just created an inscription channel under podcast discussion in the Discord. So if you want to come over, just don't be afraid to black out stuff. If you're afraid you're going to share spoilers, come on over and hang out with us there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. That's going to do it for this week here at Legends Cast. We appreciate you tuning in and listening, and be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legends Cast. You can join our podcast community by joining Discord using the link in the description of this episode. You can become a supporter of the show by visiting patreon.com slash camp legend. And don't forget to check out all of the other shows in the Camp Legend Podcast Network. 